Yeah. It's good to be back. A lot of you who have been here regularly know that I have been out of the pulpit for a little while, taking a little break, a little rest, a little time for that, which has been good, but I've missed you. Um, most of you. <laughs> I've missed you. I've missed you. Uh, people are going to watch just the sermon later and wonder why I'm all wet. We did baptisms, so that's why I'm all wet if you just watch the sermon later. Uh, welcome those online as well as those here. Uh, it looks like we're pretty full, so it may get a little warm in here. Our air conditioner is not up to keeping up with us, but you know what? They used to have to do without air conditioning in like Africa. They still have to do that. So deal with it. Okay. I've noticed uh, a trend um, in the world today. Around 2,000 years ago, uh, for those of you who know the scriptures, you know that a group of Christ followers were baptized in the Holy Spirit and Christ's church began. This was something Jesus promised that he was going to send the Holy Spirit before he went to the cross, and then promised once again after his resurrection, before his ascension, before he went back to heaven, he promised this to his disciples. Uh, we read in Acts uh, chapter 1, and by the way, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home, that's for you to take home with you. They're nice Bibles. Take it home. Read it all. Uh, it's, it's good for you. Uh, if you don't bring one today and you want to look at one of those, that's fine. It'll also be on the screen. You have a phone. You know how this works. Okay. Because we're kind of big in the Bible here. So there can be a lot of that. Uh, Acts 1, uh, verses 4 through 8. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So at this time, what they're wanting is, let's be done with this. Come on back and make the world right right now. Come as the conquering king right now. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What happened was, instead of coming back and, and ending it right there and bringing judgment and ruling, he let enough time pass so that you could be born, so that you could come to him. And they had to deal with a lot of stuff. So that we could go through that amount of time, continue to be the witnesses to Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, the Christ followers were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And according to the scripture, about 3,000 souls were added to the Christ followers that day. Now, we have not had a church growth uh, pattern quite like that. But, you know, we'll see what happens at Pentecost. It's not long from now. So uh, it, was, it was the beginning. Boom, the church starts. Okay, a bunch of Jewish uh, believers are speaking in languages. These Jews from all over the world are coming. They're hearing them in their own language. They, they, they ask, what, what must we do to be saved? And Peter preaches a sermon, and boom, the church starts. But it's an interesting time for them because the church is beginning and growing and living in a very, very broken, sinful culture. This is a Roman Greek culture. And without going into detail... These people were idol worshipers. They were sexually perverse. They were proud, arrogant, evil, unloving people. That was the culture. 
It was a culture where they murdered their unwanted children, just threw them out on the street, let them die. They were brutal, and they were wise in their own eyes. They thought they were really, really smart. They rejected their creator, as we read in Romans 1 a little later. This meant that following Christ came with a certain amount of persecution and a certain amount of turmoil. The people of this culture, they were rejecting the truth. They were suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And they were under God's righteous judgment. Now, at that time, if you wanted to be like everyone else in the culture, if you wanted to fit in, you would have had to be just like them. You would have had to be like them. You would have had to honor the things that they honored, celebrate the things that they celebrate, have pride in the things that they had pride in. And at that time, those things were as I read to you. Idol worship, sexual perversity, brutality, right? That, that was there where they were. The Romans would sometimes actually refer to Christians as atheists. Because Christians worshipped only God. Only God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that was it. That's the only one they would worship. But the Romans, they worshipped all kinds of gods. Egyptian gods and Greek gods and Roman gods and, you know, whoever. They worshipped them all. They worshipped the emperor. There was emperor worship. It was like, that, that's what it meant to be a, a religious person. They had lots of gods. So they thought, Christians are basically atheists. They only have this one God. It's one of the reasons they really rejected them. They, they thought that Christians were weirdos. The weirdos were the ones serving the resurrected Savior. The normal people were the ones bowing down to idols that they had made by themselves, doing weird sacrifices and some really messed up stuff that we won't talk about because it's Resurrection Sunday. Those were the normal people, and the weirdos were the Christ followers. That's how it was. The Christ followers were set apart at that time in that culture. The world was upside down, and the Christ followers started preaching this message that had the power to turn the world right side up, preaching the message of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was giving them the power to preach it effectively. And over time, the culture began to change, little by little, so that about a few hundred years after Christ rose from the dead, Pentecost happens, the church starts, you have this small group of people, maybe 120 people on the first day, up to 3,000, a little later up to 5,000, and it's growing, but tiny in comparison to the whole world, to the Roman world, this huge area. But a few hundred years later, the weirdos had pervaded the culture to such an extent that the culture started changing and changing and changing so that the weirdos were the idol worshipers and the normal people were the Christians. That's how it started to happen. It was an interesting time to see it go from here to there, I'm sure. What you are seeing now is the other side. You're seeing the other side. There are always difficulties living in a fallen world, even when the culture changed to Christianity became easier and you became less of a weirdo. You know, Paul and the apostles and these guys are going around and they're dealing with the difficulties and they're dealing with people saying terrible things about them and persecuting them, sometimes killing them. And Paul persecuted Christians before he became a Christ follower, before he got saved. 
They're dealing with all that, and then eventually Christianity starts to pervade the culture, and it becomes easier to be a Christian. You're not kind of pushed aside as much. Still difficult. Seeing God change us into a new creation is always difficult because we've got a long way to go. A long way to go. I can make a list for some of you. No, I'm kidding. I have made the list. I'm just not going to show it to you. It's a, checking it each week. No, I'm kidding. I mean, my list is too long to have time to make yours. So God's making us new, and that's difficult, right? But it was easier to deal with that. Just dealing with the consuming fire of God changing us was easier than dealing with that and dealing with a culture that hated us. So for this long period of time, from about 300, let's just call it, A.D., until about 20 years ago, if you were a Christian, you fit in. You fit in. And now that's changed. I can only speak from my experience, which I'm only 25, and so it's, <laughs> I, I might be older than 25. I'm, I'm not going to check. Um, no, I, I can speak from my lifetime about what I've seen. And what I've seen is a cultural implosion that has begun, begun to take us back to a culture that looks more like the Greek and Roman cultures. Okay. I see a very clear line that's happening. See, we know that it's the end of the age. If you want to deny that, you either do not have access to the internet, or you don't have access to a Bible. But if you have both, it's not hard to see that we are moving into the end of the age. And the end of the age, we know. You heard Dr. David and Pastor Dave up here for a couple weeks talking about what people would be like at the end. And that's what they're like. And what is it like? It's like what people were like in the Roman world before Christianity started to pervade. It's that, that's coming back. There's more anger. There's more violence. There's more confusion about the created order. More confusion about what it means to be a man or to be a woman. You may have noticed that. More confusion about sexuality. More confusion about people's rights. I mean, people are just, the rights thing is just crazy. I've got people on two different sides of the street, one saying, you're violating my rights, and the other saying, you're violating my rights. They're both talking about the same right, except they say it does opposite things. We're protecting the wrong things. We're afraid of the wrong things. We've unmoored ourselves from God. Like the Romans who are rejecting God as a creator, now we've started to reject, oh, evolution, we don't need God. And here we go down this road. And as we get down that road, we, we find a culture that's just awash in vile wickedness and sin. Which means this, you're no longer normal or accepted. Once again, as a Christian, you're a weirdo. You're a weirdo. I mean, I was a weirdo before, but now I've got a reason for it. Got a reason for it. Those of us who once enjoyed a culture that accepted Christianity as normal and even positive. If you remember, those of you who are my age or older, back in the day, even if people didn't go to church, they still thought it was a good thing. They'd still send their kids. I mean, you used to send buses around to just like pick up kids and bring them to church. Like, can you imagine just sending the van out? You know, here's some candy. Come in the bus. We'll take you to church. <laughs> That's what they used to do. Kids are like, candy, I got to go with this person. They got candy. Baptizing them, get them back home. And the parents were like, whatever, it's the church, it must be good. Crazy. But amazing. 
But that was because the culture valued it. The culture valued it. They were like, oh, you're a Christian. That's good. Morality, those kinds of things. Even when they didn't go to church themselves. And people would still, even when they didn't go to church, they'd wait until noon to mow the lawn. Because they didn't want everybody else to know they didn't go to church. Right? <laughs> so the culture was Christian. The Western culture. Then Europe starts sort of declining. And then Canada starts to sort of decline, which Canada, right? I mean, what are you going to do? No, I'm kidding. I've never even been to Canada. Do you believe that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And then the United States has started to decline. And we see this rise in people who say, I have no religious affiliation. And what you really see is a rise in the number of people who say, Christianity, the kind of Christianity that you and I follow, the kind of Christianity that believes that the Bible is true, that believes God says what he says, means what he says, is going to do what he says that he actually has a standard for us that we're supposed to live in a certain way, that our life is about him, not about us, that our life is about service and sacrifice, that kind of Christianity, which is Christianity, is rejected, is rejected now. You need to understand this because if you keep trying to live in a world where Christianity is accepted, what you're going to do is you're going to bring your circle of people that you can talk to down smaller and smaller and smaller. Tell it's you and a couple other people who still have the cultural Christianity and are like, yeah, we're still good living as if the whole rest of the world wasn't rejecting you, but that's not our job. Our job is to engage the culture. Our job is to push in. We march against the gates of hell. Gates aren't marching. We're marching on them. We're trying to see people come to know Jesus. And to do that, you better understand where you're sitting because you're no longer sitting in a world that respects you for being a Christian. And you know what? There's some really good things about that. For one thing, it draws the lines more clearly. One of the problems that I remember um, we'd always talk about in the church while I was growing up was people who sort of thought they were saved but weren't. They thought they were saved because, you know, grandpa was a pastor, you know, they went to VBS as a kid, you know, whatever it was. They had a basic, they had grown up in this cultural milieu of Christianity, and so they just assumed, yeah, I'm a Christian. They knew nothing about the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but they were convinced they didn't need it. You don't have as much of that anymore. The lines are getting drawn pretty clear. You are a Christ follower or you're not. And if you're not, you're not thinking that's great that they are. It's a very different place that you live. Much less patience, much less tolerance, much less love in the world. So we've got some things we have to think about on this Resurrection Sunday. We've got to think about who we're going to be at the end of the age here. And I have no idea when the Lord's coming back. I was hoping that if we worshiped hard enough this morning, we'd rapture. <laughs> so I was worried. You saw me jumping. <clears throat> Figured one of those, I might just keep going and we'd all go. We'd be like, whoa, that was awesome. But not enough of you were jumping, and that's why. <laughs> so now we have to stay here. Thanks. You need to understand what the world sees in you as a Christ follower. When you say you're a Christ follower, it used to be, oh, that's probably a person with integrity, an upstanding person. I may not be as, as moral as them, but I'm really glad that they are. I'm really glad that they follow Jesus. The Bible is a good thing, all that. Now, now this is what they think. You ready? 
I got seven things that they think about you. You come home to your family, to your friends, to your workplace. If they're unbelievers and you just got saved and we baptize you up here and you go home, this is the first thing they're going to think. You're a bigot. You follow the Bible, you're a bigot. You are on the wrong side of history. You believe what this says, you're on the wrong side of history. You're anti-science, you're anti-choice, you're foolish, you're narrow-minded, and you are a weirdo. So crazy because back in the day when somebody came out of sin and got saved at their local church, whether the person went to church or not, they were like, oh, that's good. I recognize that as a good thing. Now it's, that's bad. That's bad. This person's become a narrow-minded, wrong-side-of-history, bigot person. And you've got to recognize that's what they think about you. Paul dealt with this. My, one of the points I'm making this morning is that you are going back into the state where you can take books like Romans, like First and Second Corinthians and whatever, and understand them more closely than I think we have been able to for centuries. Because you're starting to be back in the type of culture that Paul was writing about at that time. This is what he says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah. It's come down to this. Oh, this is what a tie is for. I wonder why people wore these. I just had never had glasses before. All right, here we go. Do I look like Harry Potter? All right. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks, Gentiles, they seek after wisdom, quote unquote, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Listen, there's a reason why they think you're foolish. Because they're blind. And they're operating according to the wisdom of this age. Have you ever been in a time where people were more sure of their self, their self, themselves, where people are more sure of themselves than they are today? Watch one of your news channels, whatever, wherever you're leaning, Fox, NSNBC, CNN, blah, blah, blah. Fake news, I don't like that. I don't care. Just whatever, whichever one you watch. You're going to get two, two windows, somebody on this side and somebody on this side. Sometimes there's a person in the middle sort of referee. And the people are so certain of themselves there's no doubt anymore. So like, I think it might be possible that it's like, blah, 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 this is true, this is true, and the other person says the opposite thing is true. They, they, the wisdom of the world, they think they're so wise, they think they know everything. They'll tell you that you're dumb, that you're foolish, that you're anti-science, that you're whatever, and they know nothing because the wisdom of God is wiser than the wisdom of men and the wisdom of this broken age. And so what you can have, one of the things you can take with you as you walk into the world, as you infiltrate the culture, 
with Jesus Christ is to know that no matter what they say, when you are speaking from the scripture, you are speaking the wisdom of God, the oracles, the promises of God that applied first to the Jew and then to us, the Gentiles, his church. And no matter what they think about it, it's true. Many people no longer see the wisdom of God as wise. It is certainly not in our culture to believe in the wisdom of God. It seems like things just go from bad to dumber. It's like it's, everything just gets worse. People have confused their opinions with facts, and they have no problem telling you about them. I was reading some statistics in a survey, and I didn't bring it um, with me, but I believe that as I looked, they looked at every state, and they asked the question, you know, is there morality, like objective morality, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong, or is it situational, you do what you want? And there was no state, as I recall, there's one, well, one state that had even half the people say that morality was a standard. Washington was 30%. You want to know where the lowest one was? Washington, D.C. 22%. Less than a quarter of the people in Washington, D.C. think there's an objective standard for morality. Who lives there? I don't remember who. <laughs> you think they're for you. They're not for you. They're not for you. God is for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. But the culture... The only way you can say there's no standard for morality is if you're becoming unanchored, unmoored, unhooked from God. You're denying him ultimately as the creator of the universe. Because if he's the creator of the universe, then he made the universe with order, which means that it has standards, which means that it has rules. When you say there aren't any rules and I do what I want, you reject God as a creator. And then you get all of the, what we would call sins against the created order that we see piling up now. From genocide to abortion to the sexual deviance that we see being celebrated as normal. And look, I have a heart for everybody who suffers with these things. We have, it is insane what is happening to our children in school right now. You think that what they're doing there isn't preaching? You don't understand. There is a satanic plan to indoctrinate your children and confuse them to the point that they don't know which way is up. And what, is it, what has it gotten us? Teenagers more depressed than they've ever been. I don't know how often I see these articles about how teenagers are more, more and more depressed. You know why? Because their parents aren't doing what they need to do and, and their parents are walking them out afraid. You know that video we saw at the beginning? There's this thing, there's that thing, there's the coronavirus, there's the climate, there's what, yeah, all of those things, whatever. You know what? Those don't move us. We care about the world and we want to help people, but they don't move us. But the parents of these kids are being moved. The fear in the culture is significant. And so while they may think you're stupid and weird, it is you who has the only answer. You have the only answer, the only thing that can save anyone on heaven, in heaven or on earth is Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit's power, the love of the Father. Whether they call you weird or stupid, 
you have their only hope. I don't know, I remember when I was young, I do remember that far back. And, you know, there were always, always atheists around, but they were kind of like, they were the weirdos, right? Like, that was an atheist, you know? That was, that was a weird thing. But I never thought to myself that when I got old enough to be in the workforce, that there would literally be things that I would not be able to do because I was a believer. Like, I never thought that there would be, like, things that I was cut off from. If I wanted to be a professor at a state college right now, please, give me a break. Not only would I, they never hire me, but I would instantly be canceled, run off, you know, I would be, you know, they'd have torches, right? Because I believe what the Bible says. You cannot believe this and work at a university anymore. There are literally places where you are cut out, and those places are growing, Cultural Christianity is over. And we've got to come around to it. We've got to get used to it. And in order to, to face it, we've got to trust some things. And one of the promises that we have to look to and look to and look to and look to, and we preach about a lot, is Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Look, you, gotta, you better marinate in that because there are tough times. They don't have to overcome you, but there are tough times. But if you always remember, everything will work together for good. I have an eternal mindset. You can make it through as God has, doing what God has called you to do. What you cannot do, young people, medium, old people, big people, small people, kids who climb on rocks, listen to me. <laughs> listen to me. You cannot be popular anymore. Stop trying. You cannot gain the favor of the people of this culture anymore. Stop trying. It's over. I know there was a time when that was the way it could be. You could fit in. You could be at the country club. You could be at where you'd be at whatever. And being a Christian, it didn't matter. That is over. James 4.4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't know when the last time that this was so true as it is today. You cannot be friends with the world. You can love them. You can serve them. I have no interest in us becoming angry, Christians and judgmental and all that. I want to love the world. But give me a break if you think you can be friends with this culture and follow Christ at the same time. It can't happen. It can't happen. Christ followers are not friends of the world and the culture. You can be friends with people, but you can't be friends with this culture, which means people will reject you. You're not going to make the people of this world comfortable or happy when you are preaching the gospel. It's not going to happen. We are experiencing the fallout of the descent into brokenness in our culture. It's hard to watch, it's sad. It's frustrating, but let me tell you something. It's not hopeless. Not at all. It's going to be difficult, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not impossible. We have everything we need. God gives us everything we need. Paul writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians, and he gives a description of sort of the difficulties that he faces as one who preaches the gospel, something that each one of you are called to do, and kind of the description of the hope we have. Let's, let's look at this. It's kind of a longer passage. 
I'll pull my little glasses out again. <laughs> tie. I'm going to wear a tie all the time now. All right, listen. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But listen, listen. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay. Okay? What's the problem with jars of clay? They can break. They're brittle, right? You have a body of death. You have this treasure of the gospel, but you have it in an earthen vessel, which means you are subject to trouble while you're in this world. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, you can't really brag about it because you're a jar of clay. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, amen, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. I pray that it would be so for all of us. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Do you believe? Then therefore you must speak. That's what he's saying. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus, that's what we're celebrating today, Resurrection Sunday, will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Look, that's the promise. That's the promise. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Now listen, therefore, we do not lose heart. Anybody felt like losing heart in the last couple years? I can tell you I have. I felt like it. But it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's difficult. But God's got us. He's got us. We're not crushed, in despair, forsaken, destroyed. None of that. We live in a fallen world. Things are rough sometimes. Carrying this body around, it's nice as it is. And I know you've noticed. <laughs> it's rough. If I try to carry it very fast, it's really rough. I mean, I just played a couple songs, and I was just like pouring sweat. It's rough. Body of death, people. Some of that's my fault. But we live in a fallen world, but our spirit is alive because of God's power and his salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be crushed and perplexed. It's not going to happen. 
Does it? God does not promise that they won't press in on every side. He promises you won't be crushed. He doesn't promise that persecution won't come. He promises that you won't be overcome. We got to deal with it. Why? Because he did. Like, why does God make us go through this? Well, what are you talking? Please. Jesus Christ came as a man. It was God. He could have been like, these are terrible people. And he would have been just. And instead, he took on more than any of us will ever take on. We're doing, dealing with light affliction in comparison to what he dealt with. And this brings us to our passage in Romans for today. It's already 11.18, and I'm sorry, but we're going. We're going. Let's look at uh, verses 1. Uh, through four. So remember, as we've been going through, I've kind of been putting in chapter one verses that go together, together. And so we did verse one, but then we sort of skipped and did something other. Now we got to come back to verse one, one through four, and then one, 14 through 17. So if you grab your Bible, there we go. Okay. Let's start in verse one. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. All right, now skip over to verse 14. Here we go. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. That's y'all. Both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now that last word, the just shall live by faith, changed the world. Because the church started to get, uh, how can we put this, real bad and very concerned with outward appearances and how much money you gave and all kinds of crazy things like that. And a guy named Martin Luther who dealt with tremendous anxiety issues, constantly concerned. What brought him out of that into health was understanding the grace of God, that we are saved by grace through faith. An amazing thing. Now listen, if you have your Bible with you, your own Bible, don't do it to the ones in the thing unless you're taking one home with you. Circle a couple things for me. Start with uh, in verse 1 where it says the gospel. And then in verse 16 where it says the gospel. And then in verse 15 where it says preach the gospel. If you want to circle those because those, those are going together. Now, what, what the gospel means here is good news, good tidings. Okay? He's talking about some good news, some good tidings. In 1 and 16, that's what the gospel means. In 15, the word is actually more of a verb, and it means to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the, the tidings, okay? Now, what are we talking about here? This is, this is the crux of the book of Romans. We're going to go into this. I mean, we're going to get into why the gospel is necessary, who we are as sinners, how God has saved us, what it's like to live with a body of death, but a spirit that's alive, and, and all this kind of stuff, all leading into Romans chapter 8, where we read about God works together all things for good, right? All of that's going to happen, and then 9 through the rest of the, of the book is, is some other stuff, still gospel-filled, but these first eight 
uh, chapters of Romans are going to just be the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. So what is the gospel? The simple gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. It's pretty much that simple, okay? To, to bring it out a little bit more, let me explain something. You are a sinner. You are born into it because your parents were horrible sinners. And their parents, horrible sinners. And you can go back to Adam and Eve. It all goes back. We have rejected God. A holy God. We've rejected him. I was listening to Chuck Messler. He's talking about a quote from Socrates who said, I have heard that deity, that God, can forgive sins, but I don't see how. And why he said that was because the idea that God would be holy and would be able to, to mix with sinners doesn't make any sense. You can't add like and unlike together in that way. He's holy. He's perfect. How can he forgive sins? Now, this is before Jesus, Socrates, a long time ago. We're so crates for those of you who have watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that guy. That guy's awesome. Yeah. Read a book. Okay, listen. Socrates says this, and this is before Christ. Let me explain to you that before Christ, it did make sense. How could a holy God have forgiven people? But Christ did the unthinkable. The only way he could forgive is that the price had to be paid. And guess who can't pay the price? You can't. You can't pay the price. Only Jesus could. The gospel is that we needed a savior and that God provided the savior himself. See, he made the world. This, there's this whole thing with the problem of evil. Like, how could God make the world and he's good and yet all this bad stuff happens and whatever. And it's like, what? the answer to the problem of evil, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is you. That's why. And me. Not just you, me too. More me, more me. Us, we're the answer why bad things happen to good people because we're sinners. Well, why did he make us so that we could sin? Why would he make you so that you're individual or unique at all? Why did he give me any choice? He knew I'd make a bad choice. Yeah, okay. You know, this is one of these ones that just drives me crazy. Especially if you've had children. If you have had children... You knew when you were having children that they were going to do dumb things. If you didn't know that, you learned it really quick, right? I mean, they're wicked little sinners quick. Am I wrong? Like they're crawling. It's like, what is wrong? You are not redeemed, you know? That's what it's like. They're like, they're so mean. No, listen, you've got kids. You know what I'm talking about. You brought kids into the world. Why? Because their life was worth it. It was a risk. You didn't know whether they'd find Jesus. Now, if you were a Christian, you had kids, you didn't know whether they But you believed that God would help them to do that and that you'd be with them forever. God made you unique so that you actually could love one another and most, and most importantly, love him and that he could love you and you could have this experience. But because of that, there's a lot of brokenness. And so people go, well, why did God allow it? Listen. God did everything that he could possibly do to fix it himself. That's the gospel. The gospel is that a God that was gracious enough to give you life was also gracious enough to die for you so that you could have eternal life. That's what Paul's talking about. It's profound. It is so profound. It's like, 
We don't even touch the surface of it. Martin Luther used to preach, according to a story that I have no idea if it's true, I, I'll ask uh, Dan Carlson, he was probably there. It's 1500s. So um, Martin Luther used to, used to preach the gospel like every Sunday. And the people would come to him and they'd say, Martin, Martin, listen. Are you, why do you preach the gospel every week? Why do you keep preaching the gospel every week? Can we move on? And he said, I will stop preaching it when you walk in here on a Sunday morning looking like you've got it. It is so profound. And if we don't walk in it every single day, we're not experiencing the joy that we could, we could experience. So when Paul talks about not being ashamed of the gospel and preaching the gospel, he's talking to you and me. What is our job as the world is broken and fallen, as we become the weirdos, as we get pushed to the margins of society, as we are no longer popular, as we are no longer cool? I was never, but some of you probably were, and now you're not, okay? Because you're Christians. Stop being cool. We're no longer any of that as we preach, as we proclaim the good news. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God. It is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. First it was to the Jews, and then it was to the whole world, to the Gentiles. And you've got it. You're holding it. This incredible eternal thing. It's in an earthen vessel. Jars of clay. These bodies are rough. We have to deal with some stuff. But you've got this amazing thing. Proclaim it. Do not be ashamed of it. What is, he, what is he saying? Listen, what is he saying? It's revealed from faith to faith. You want to create faith in others? It's your faith to their faith to their faith. The gospel has come down from faith to faith since the beginning, since Jesus Christ established his church. Faith to faith to faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Now, I'm, I'm really out of time here. I've been gone for a while, so I had a lot to say. I, I want you to take this day, this Resurrection Sunday, and if you have been holding on to fears about where you sit in the world, about the things that are being taken away from you, because they are. You were never promised to keep them. About the fact that when you grew up as a Christian, you were, in, you were able to or entitled to a number of benefits in the society, and that your children will be entitled to none of them, that they're going to have to fight the good fight that Paul and the apostles fought, and so are you right now. Instead of you, if you are mourning that, bury it. Let it go. Don't be angry about it. Instead, be joyful about what you've been called to. Because you're a soldier. You're in the army of God. And you're standing together with all of us as a shield wall as we bring people to know Jesus. Because for all that stuff that I talked about, all the difficulties, we baptized three people today. Two of whom were quite young. One of whom was pretty young. 27, I think. Something like that. We're still baptizing people 
We're still seeing people get saved. We're still seeing people come to the Lord. You know why? Because it's their only hope. Because God draws them. And the, and the nonsense of the world is revealed to them. And they recognize that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The historical fact upon which our faith is based. And a very clear historical fact. If you don't believe that, I got several sermons on that. Go back into the, grab the app and get those little QR codes. Grab the app and go back and, and watch those. I am so excited to be with you. I'm so excited that you came today on a beautiful day. Because, you know, this promise of the gospel is yours. And it's mine. And we're saved and we're safe. And we can enjoy this world. We can enjoy it. We don't have to sit here in fear. It might be difficult. It might be difficult sometimes. It has been difficult, guys. But you know what? He's got us. You won't be crushed. Okay? All those things, those little news things, and I had the music like, da -da 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 -da, and, and people go, you know, but we don't. We're just like, yeah, I got Jesus. Maybe I will die. I may get hit by a bus. I ride a very fast motorcycle. Things can go bad. I'm not that coordinated. Okay? <laughs> and if I do, praise God. To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Have an eternal focus. Don't try to be friends with the world. Unite with your brothers and sisters. This is not a time to be doing Christianity on your own. Let's be together. Let's walk forward.